Ephesians 2 and 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And as I've pointed out, uh, what we are seeking to do in this series this year is, is know how to live the elevated life and at the same time, how to avoid letting the enemy strategize to keep us from experiencing the elevated life. God raised us up. And I want to tell you something. Listen to what I'm going to say. There's a movie out, Life Happens. I think it's an older movie. No, it doesn't. Life doesn't happen. What happens is when you don't prepare for life. Whatever goes on after that, until you leave this planet, that's what happens. But don't call it life. You go to many a cemetery, and you will in cemeteries you will always find headstones, and there will be born certain year hyphen deceased passed on a certain year. That one little hyphen can contain a world of information or a world of joy. It can contain a world of emptiness and frustration depending upon whether you were prepared to live life in between those two dates on the tombstone. Life doesn't just happen. You have to be prepared for it. And one of the things that Jesus came to do is help men and women to experience life and have it more abundantly. And so that's what the Bible is all about. Who would know better how to live life than the one who gave it to us? And that's what the Bible is. It's literally a handbook on how to be successful in living life. Strange you don't ever hear it talked about that way. You always hear people get into these polemical discussions, these debates. Is it really the Word of God? Do we have the accurate translation? Blah, 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 this, this, this. And the truth of the matter is they're overlooking the central theme of the Bible. This is God's handbook for life. It's the owner's manual. And look at this in Proverbs 4 and 23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And so I've been in a series on toxic uh, experiences and emotions and things that happen in our life that contaminate us. My, my theme for the last several weeks has been soul detox, the series that we're in. And today I want to talk to you about toxic emotions. Control them before you lose control. Toxic emotions. If you don't control them, you'll lose control of your life. God made you and me to have emotions and to be emotional beings. I want to set that up and let that be understood right up front. Sometimes some people think that maturity is not having any emotions at all. No, that's wrong. God created every one of us to be emotional beings. It's because we have emotions that we can love we can laugh, find humor, get excited about things, feel peace. It's because of emotions that we can also feel sadness. We can also feel disappointment. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who would want to live in a world where there was no emotions? That means there's no love. If there's no emotions. You're, you would be living in a world without love. People would be robotic in nature. And while some people believe that the ultimate life is to live a life that's entirely logical, not moved by emotion, 
I frankly don't want to live in a world like that. Love makes us cherish relationships and family and have friendships, right? Who would want to live in a world without humor? (laughs) Come on, think about it. Where no one ever smiled, no one ever laughed. Humor is also an emotion. Happiness, joy, those are emotions. Now, we don't start out in life balancing the emotions God put in us And we are made in his image. And all of these emotions I've mentioned, God himself experiences. Read your Bible. God is happy. God is sad. God gets angry. God is disappointed. God has expectations. Even though he's God, knows how something's going to turn out. He has emotions. He made us in his likeness and in his image. But as infants, when we come into the world... We don't balance all of these emotions very well, do we? Amen. Think about it. Babies are all about emotion, right? They're happy when they're well-fed. They're unhappy when they're thirsty or they're hungry, right? And things can go downhill really, really fast from there. Amen. You had a baby in your home. You know what I'm talking about. They're happy after they have slept and are fresh. They're unhappy when they're tired. They're happy when they're entertained, but they're very unhappy if they feel bored or feel neglected in any way. They're happy if they're dry. They're miserable if they're not. Amen. And if you've had children in your home, you know that if they're miserable, you are miserable too. Amen. Come on, help me out. My definition for insanity for years has been a struggling mom with four or five step children. That is a job. You give her a pass, please. She acts a little bit out of sorts. Don't judge her. (laughs) Four or five small stair-step children who haven't learned to control their emotions yet. Oh, boy, that's something. Normally, when we grow up, we learn to balance our emotions with the intellect that is developing within us. And that is, we learn to control our emotions. We learn to assess things, and we are not as impatient and, for, and, and we may feel hungry, but we know intellectually that lunch is just an hour from now, so we don't go into a tantrum like we did when we were a little baby, right? Hopefully. Amen. Hopefully. Amen. We also develop a greater range of emotions. Unfortunately, though, sometimes as adults, even though we have grown physically, We haven't learned to master our emotions yet. Amen. Speaking of emotions, men are often accused of being emotionally shut down. Guys, we get a bad rap on that, don't we? Amen. Not so, most men would protest. We are not emotionally shut down. We're just emotional about different things. And we express our emotion differently. Joke, okay, joke. Show you the difference between men's emotions and women's, okay? One night, a wife found her husband standing over their baby's crib, their newborn baby. Silently, she watched him. As he stood looking down at the sleeping infant, she saw in his face a mixture of emotions, wonder, amazement, disbelief, doubt, delight, enchantment, skepticism. Touched by this unusual display of tenderness and the deep emotions it aroused in him, with eyes glistening with tears, she slipped her arms around his waist as she came up behind him and said, A penny for your thoughts, my dear. And he looked and he said, It's amazing. 
I just can't see how anybody can make a crib like that for only $49. (laughs) There we are, guys. Amen. We're emotional just about different things. Amen. We need to learn to recognize when emotions become toxic and stop making excuses for them in our lives and the damage they do to us and to others. There are different types of toxic emotions that we sometimes deal with. I'm going to name 10. Among the toxic emotions that are common are fear, negativity, the shame that results from low self-esteem, unforgiveness, anger, arrogance, pride, bitterness, number seven, self-pity, being shut down and unable to feel compassion and empathy for others, is yet another. And then number 10, jealousy. Understand that though God gave us emotions, toxic emotions, however, the ones I've just mentioned are not from God. These are emotions that the enemy has tweaked. If you did not develop the skills that I began today to talk about to live life, this is what happens. It's not life that happens. This is what happens right here. You go through life with toxic emotions poisoning your life and your relationships with others. This didn't come from God. God gave you emotions, but these things that I'm talking about right now are emotions that have been carried to such an extreme that they've become toxic. And if you understand what I'm saying, you realize that even good things can be toxic in the course of your life. If you have too much of it, come on, help me. Everybody loves a steak once in a while. Too much of that, coronary artery disease. Got to be careful. Everybody loves a good glass of cold water on a hot summer day. You can actually drink so much water that it can kill you. Did you know that? You've you've heard the, the, the reports and seen it on TV. You can drink so much that literally what happens is your heart stops beating. Too much sugar, as much as we like sweets. In the same way that an overabundance of things that that are good, if taken and received in moderation, can become deadly even, and certainly harmful, if not deadly. Your emotions, if allowed to get out of control, can turn against you and can become deadly into many different aspects of your life. I always think, for example, of the man at the pool of Bethesda. Life, according to John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus' words, is meant to be satisfying. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Somebody say praise the Lord for that. But I think of the man at the pool of Bethesda. Talk about toxic emotions. He was a victim of self-pity. How do I know that? Rational thinking would have led him to deduce and conclude years ago that I'm not going to get healed sitting where I'm at. Because Jesus walked there in John chapter 5 and found the man, knew he had been in that condition a long time, 38 years, and said, will you be made whole? And the man said, I have no one, listen to the self-pity, no one to put me into the pool when the angel troubles the waters. 
Now, let me show you why that this man is consumed by self-pity. Do you not think that in the course of 38 years, even though he couldn't walk, he could have crawled to the edge of that pool? And the next time the angel came, just like I've said before, just lean over. Come on, tell somebody. Just get in the position where all you have to do is just lean over. Don't sit in the back and complain that nobody is helping you get into the pool after 38 years. Hello, you should have figured that out. You see, the problem is not he didn't have anybody to help him. The problem was he was consumed by the toxic emotion of self-pity that blinded him to the obvious solution to his problem. And that's often the situation. Somebody in the building say amen. Many examples of toxic emotions at work in the life of Jacob. We've been studying him in this series. It affected his judgment, but perhaps none caused him more pain than the way he raised his own children and passed his toxic emotions on to them. The fact that we pass on our dysfunction to our children is one of the main reasons we need to experience soul detox. Relationships that were meant to be healthy and strong, husband, wife, other kinds of relationships can turn the wrong way and become death traps for the people who are in them. Homes where children were to be nurtured and raised and taught and equipped with the skills to know how to enjoy the life that is elevated can become homes where children's emotions are damaged because the hurt of the parent is passed on to the child. And this is what is so tragic about this, is that most of us lack the capacity for self-diagnosis. We can see the problem in someone else's eye or uh, life, but we can't see it in our own. Even Jesus said that. Why are you trying to pick that mode of dust, that speck of dust out of your neighbor's eye when you got a telephone pole in yours? First, get the problem fixed in your own life. What he's really saying is, is we can really diagnose others very well, but we have a limited capacity to be able to diagnose ourselves. As I've told you, because Isaac was raised in a home, Jacob's father was raised in a home where there was partiality shown to him by his dad, Abraham. Now that he had two boys, Jacob and Esau, he chose Esau to be his favorite. That was his family of origin. He was raised in a family where there was partiality and favoritism. Now, while that made Esau feel really good, but ended up ruining Esau's life, how do you think it made Jacob feel? Because no matter if you're the favored son of the runt of the litter, to use an old expression, it ruins both persons, the one that is favored, because they go through life without having realistic expectations. Amen. They think they deserve something. They're entitled. Amen. Or the boy that's neglected is raised up with severe inferiority complexes and wounded self-esteem and spends the rest of his life compensating for that. And just as Isaac's as his father Isaac's partiality toward Jacob ended up causing Isaac regret and pain in his later years because of the wedge it drove between his two sons. How do you feel Isaac must have felt when he saw the division between his two boys? Just as it must have caused Isaac pain, Jacob came to regret 
the partiality he showed too because just like Abraham had his son Isaac that he favored and just like Isaac had Esau that he favored, Jacob chose Joseph. And the result was the other brothers hated him. They not only hated him, they tried to kill him. And whenever they saw a band of Ishmaelites coming, decided to sell him into slavery. And they sold that fine, promising young man into slavery and then went home and lied to their old and aged father and said, your boy was killed by a wild beast. You know that kid you like better than us? Animals killed him. These toxic emotions that I mentioned are harmful and toxic not only because of the misery they cause, the ones I put on that list up there a while ago, but also because of where they came from. Let's look at them individually just for a moment. Fear. Fear is very toxic. Very toxic. Why? Fear comes from not trusting God to take care of us. Think about it. Failing to trust God to take care of us is what produces fear in our lives. Now, I don't want to make anyone feel bad by pointing these things out, but you can't really fix a problem till you diagnose the cause of it, right? I mean, why fix the transmission if it's the motor that needs an overhaul? You hear what I'm saying? Don't fix the fridge if it's a dishwasher that's going out. You need to diagnose what's really going on. And so fear is directly the result from believing that I'm not sure that I can trust God. Almost inevitably, it is caused by people we did trust somewhere in our lives growing up, proving to be less than trustworthy. They let us down. Shame. The second toxic emotion that I showed you comes from low self-esteem. Now, what makes this wrong? When you say these are wrong, yes, they're actually wrong. God's not pleased when these emotions are in us. And you say, well, if you say that someone is wrong to live with shame, isn't that a little bit like penalizing someone, who, someone who's already hurting, already going through trouble? Don't you have any compassion for him, Pastor? You say shame is wrong. They're already hurting. Come on, give them a break. No, you see, the problem with shame and low self-esteem means that you've not yet accepted the identity that God has spoken over your life. That's where that comes from. Once you know who you are in God, then you come to realize that people can say whatever they want to about you. There can be all the haters in the world, but as long as God has chosen you, God has spoken over you. God has a plan for your life, and you matter to God. Then you realize that the problem isn't in you. It's in the haters out there. You see what I'm saying? Amen. This is really what is shame is what's behind self-will. Because when you have low self-esteem, it's already so fragile and so thin and so wounded that you don't feel like you can give up control of a situation. Because if you do... If it goes wrong, you're going to come out looking bad. And you already feel so bad, and you think everybody else sees it and has discerned it about you. They don't respect you and look up to you because you're wounded in your self-esteem. It's, it's been damaged. You can't tolerate letting a situation go. You've got to manage everything. And so people that are control freaks, this is where that comes from. Unforgiveness is another toxic emotion. This too is rooted in our having been disappointed, and as a result, our self-esteem was wounded. Amen. When people wound you and hurt you, 
and you take it internally and you process it the wrong way. Just look at your neighbor and say, bad stuff's going to happen. Would you say that to them right now? Just tell them, don't process it badly. Amen. Everyone's heard the story that a pearl is actually a bit of grit or sand that got in an oyster, and it started adding protective layers around it, and it became a valuable piece of, uh, I guess, something to use to produce jewelry. You wouldn't call it a gemstone because it's actually created by this oyster as a direct result of the pain. Would to God that we could take our hurts and turn them into something beautiful. That's what God does if we allow him to. Amen. And again, whenever people do you wrong and you live with unforgiveness, it's because you feel like they stole something from you in in terms of your worth. They betrayed you. They made you feel less than what you already felt. Maybe your self-esteem was already wounded. What you need to know is nothing anyone ever does to you will ever make you less of who God said you were in his eyes. Come on, somebody in the building, say hallelujah. Anger, number four. This comes from being disappointed or worse, betrayed and not forgiving those who wronged you. Negativity is what results from living with fear. You can live with fear and, you, and these, these, these wrongs that, that somebody may have done you and you rehearse it and, and you, it's always, you're rewinding that and playing it back and, and over and over again until the, you don't even realize it. You used to be so positive in your outlook, but now because something bad has happened and you've played that over and over in your mind, what's happened is, as I taught you a couple of weeks ago, you have, through the chemical process of thinking, you've actually laid out a, a new neurological pathway in your brain. You've grown a new tree, memory tree is what science actually calls it. And now then you're thinking differently than you used to. Your thoughts have become negative. You ever hear somebody or talk about, you know, things that, that you looked at and you thought were great and they found a problem with them, you know? Uh, sun shining, isn't it wonderful? Yeah, I'll bet it rains before the day's over. Amen. That kind of, you know what I'm saying. You heard about some people are so dry that you throw them in a mud puddle, they're dried up. You, you know what I'm talking about. Amen. That's negativity that is a result of having thought negative thoughts for so long. Arrogance and pride, these are wrong because they're often coping mechanisms we develop to cover insecurity. Amen. Arrogance and pride. A lot of the people you think are proud and arrogant really aren't. They're really very wounded. And this is their cover. They don't want you to see how wounded they really are. Moving on. Bitterness results from having been hurt, not forgiving those who wronged us, and then becoming angry and not letting it go. And you can play this over and think negative thoughts so many times and have unforgiveness so long that it results in bitterness. And guess what bitterness does? Bitterness destroys the cup that holds it. Your neighbor that did you wrong or someone in your life that did you wrong could go on, forget about it, live a good life and be happy. And you're still bogged down by that bad experience. And you are consumed with bitterness. The Bible speaks of this root of bitterness springing up. And many are defiled because bitterness is contagious. Amen. Then there's self-pity. That was the man at the pool that I told you about. And then there's being shut down and unable to feel compassion and empathy 
basically your emotions just shut down. And this is generally caused by self-absorption. Back to the story of the little children that we talked about. You know, that hopefully as they grow older, their intellect develops. And whereas they just cried the moment they got hungry as babies, they get a little older, they're able to say, hmm, one hour we're going to have lunch. I can hang on that long. We become like little children and we become self-absorbed if we're not careful. And I watched this happen one time with a child whose mother was dying of cancer And I'd gone to the hospital, I think it was St. Luke's if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it was a hospice, I can't even remember now. But the mother was dying of breast cancer, and there she was, Methodist I think it was, and the mother, it had spread into the brain. And I went in, and there's this little five or six, seven-year-old child, forgotten how old it was, the mother is dying now. And they haven't let the child come in for a little while because the mother has dramatically lost weight. But now they've called the family in, and the little child is there. And I'm talking about the mother's going to leave this planet in just a a day or two. I think she did go to be with the Lord before that day was over. And this child falls and hurts itself. And instead of seeing the pain of the mother, who is in an extreme condition because of this terrible disease, all this child can think about is, "I, I hurt my knee. And I remember looking at that thinking, wow. Doesn't that tell me something about how we people can oftentimes be? We can be so absorbed in our own pain, we don't see the world of hurt right next to us. Our little old problem, we blow it out of proportion. Somebody say amen. And then jealousy. Jealousy means that you aren't satisfied with who you are. Somebody gets blessed more than you. Somebody drives a better car. Somebody lives in a better house, gets a raise, gets a promotion. Amen. And we become jealous. Again, what is behind this? All of these things are low self-esteem. Every one of these. And why is low self-esteem so repulsive to God? And why is it that I'm not giving everybody a pass, including myself, when we struggle with these issues? It's because the way to combat that is stop letting circumstances and people tell us who we are and let God tell us who we are. Tell somebody, I'm a child of God. Would you do that? How much do you matter to God? For God so loved the world. That's you. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Salvation wasn't just meant to give you a fire escape out of hell. Salvation was also meant to heal your damaged emotions and equip you with how to deal with what caused them. In a fallen world, your emotions can and will become wounded. But Christ didn't just come to save us from an eternity without hope. He came to let us know that he loves us so much that no matter what we go through, our emotions do not have to become lopsided and toxic and dangerous. Amen. Listen to this, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does the kingdom of God do? It heals your emotions. Righteousness is only one-third of what the kingdom is. Yet you go to most churches, what do they always preach? Righteousness, righteousness. Don't do this, do this. Don't do that, do this. And over and over. Yet two-thirds of the kingdom of heaven is not even about works. Two-thirds of your experience with God is the healing of your emotions. Look at it. 
righteousness, peace, and joy. Amen. 1 Peter 1 and 8. This is what Peter said. Whom, he, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with what? Joy inexpressible and full of glory. That little hyphen in between, God wants that to be filled with joy that is so great you can't express it. Anything less than that is less than his ideal for the elevated life. Philippians 4 and 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Tracy and I have talked, and she sent me emails, and we've spoken by phone. In the middle of all of this, she was recently diagnosed with cancer. And thank God for the way it's turning out. I'm not going to preempt her testimony. I'll let her share it with you, but... But all I can say is, I was amazed at the peace that Tracy was exhibiting walking through all of this. Completely resolute, unshakable. And she told me, I, I've already told my family and friends, don't you come around here talking negativity. I don't need it and don't want it. Amen. I understand that. Because your emotions can have a profound impact on every part of your life, including your health. Psalm 16 and 11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is what? Fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I contend salvation is not just about escaping hell. Salvation is about God healing your emotions so that you can live an elevated life as well. Now what makes these things so damaging to us is that rather than accepting the identity God has given us in Christ and realizing that it's people who failed us, we extrapolate from the situations where people have failed us, authority figures in our lives have failed us, and we transpose that to our relationship with the ultimate authority figure. Rather than accepting that, it's, that we have value in the eyes of God, when people that are significant in our lives fail us, we transpose that, to the greatest relationship we have in our existence, which is our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we conclude at a subconscious level that if I couldn't trust Daddy and Mama or my husband or my wife or my friends or my auntie or my uncle, how can I trust God that I've never even seen? Because someone hurt us and made us feel small, we think that others will too. And then we go to judging people. And that's forbidden in Scripture. You want to know why people judge? I'm telling you why right now. We find it hard to show or give love. Why? Because when we did, we stretched our neck out. Somebody wounded us. We opened ourselves up. We opened the door and the wall. We learned very quickly to plaster that back up again, didn't we? Amen. How then can we fulfill the new commandment that Christ gave us that we love one another? 1 John 13 34 through 35, a new commandment I give you, or, or John chapter, not 1 John. Love one another as I have loved you, so must you love one another. And he goes on to say, by this will everyone know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The great failing of Christianity, the great failing of the church, is more people in our world feel hated by the church than they do feel loved by the church. Come on, be real with me right now. Go to church, you get judged. Go to church, people look down their noses at you. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that publican over there. Isn't that what Jesus was trying to teach? 
that we need to get beyond that. But you can't love people when you're shut down emotionally. Worse, we think that, that since people find fault in us, God also finds fault in us. Looks down on us just like people do and doesn't love us. After all, if people look at us and find a reason to judge us and find fault with us, they don't know the half of it, do they? Nobody knows us like God does if people only knowing what little they know judge us and reject us. Well, he must surely be fed up to here with us. And we'll go through life that way, fearing God. I want to tell you that our problem is this, that we don't process our disappointments and walk away from them, realizing that it was fallen man who hurt us. It wasn't God. It was fallen man who hurt us. And that in spite of our hurts and our value and our, that our identity is still intact because we are who God says we are. This was Jacob's big problem. And I told you when I started this series that even though God changed his name to ja- to, from Jacob to Israel, he kept calling himself Jacob. Why? It's this reason right here. He couldn't accept that God saw something in him because too many others had already convinced him that he was flawed, that he was not worth the name that God was giving him now, some years ago right here in Houston. Do you guys remember this? At a flea market. I think it was down on 59, one of those flea markets there, if I'm not mistaken. A dealer sold a rock for $5. Anybody remember that story? It turned out to be an incredibly rare and huge star sapphire. He sold it for $5. It was worth $10 million. Here's the point I'm making. The guy who bought the gem saw the value that the dealer did not see. Do you know that after the guy bought the rock for $5, that the one who sold it to him, upon learning what it was really worth, went to court and tried to sue him? I'm serious. I want part of that money. Buddy, you had your chance. You didn't recognize it when you had it. Why am I telling you this story? Amen. I'm telling you this story because the guy who sold it for $5 made the mistake of underestimating the value of what he had. And people around you can underestimate who you are. But there's somebody walking through the flea market. There's somebody walking down the aisle that knows the value that he has placed inside of you. And where somebody else sees a worthless stone, he sees treasure. That's what you need to know about God, that God loves you. Amen. I'm concluding. Amen. This is what Jacob went through. His own daddy thought he was a $5 rock. Everybody, Laban, $5. God said, "Uh uh-uh. He's a star sapphire worth $10 million. And when I get done with him, you're going to see what I'm talking about. How many of you have been overlooked, passed by? Come on, help me now. How many of you have been through circumstances where you look back and you feel the pain still resonating, vibrating within because somebody looked at you and didn't even count you worthy or significant enough to give you the time you needed to help Learn how to enjoy life. No, somebody wounded you and abused you. This is the story of living in a fallen world. But this is what I wanted to tell you. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I walked into the market one day. 
and I saw what everybody else rejected. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You know, those that sometimes everybody else passes up is the one that God has placed the greatest deposit of value in and worth. Look, don't let anybody rob you of your identity in God. Amen. Listen to what God said about Jacob. Psalms 135 and verse 4. For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. Treasured possession. Nobody else saw his value, not even his own father and mother, not his brother. No one around him did. But God said, I've chosen you to be my treasured possession. Here is what toxic emotions do. Even though God said, I chose you to be my treasured possession, Jacob never felt treasured in his whole life. I'm done. We call Jehovah the God of Abraham, Isaac, and we call him the God of Jacob. But do you know that Jacob never called God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He always talked about the God of my father. Never could quite come to the point where he realized that God loved him too. Amen. Why? I've already told you that his father didn't see value in him. But listen to this. He lived in fear of his father. How do I know that? Genesis 31, verse number 5, or 53, rather, the B clause. Whenever Jacob and Laban were in dispute, this is what they did. They took an oath, and Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father, Isaac. That's right there in your Bible. He made an oath. And said, I swear by the fear that I've had my whole life for my own daddy that I will not violate our covenant and our agreement. He didn't say, I swear by the love I've had for my daddy. I swear by the fear that I've had for my father. Fear is a destructive, toxic thing. And so, even though God chose him as his treasured possession, Jacob transferred that fear to God. How do I know he transferred it to God? Remember this, Genesis 28. He's running from Esau, gathers some stones, lays down, dreams a dream, angels ascending and descending up a ladder to heaven. And Jacob wakes up, and this is what he said. Ooh, how dreadful is this place? I'm scared to death. This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. This is why some people live in fear of God all of their lives rather than knowing the love that God has for them. Amen. All right, I'm done. I'll just simply say this. How do you deal with toxic emotions? You control them before they control you. Understand that they are the product of toxic thoughts. Somebody say amen here today. Your thoughts interact and connect and hitch up with emotions. Did you know that? This is why. You, you ever have certain songs that have certain emotional content connected to them? Husbands and wives have their song. You know what I mean? That's a song that goes back to when they first met or, or were dating. There are others, you know, music ties in. Why? Because music in, in, in an incredible way articulates human emotions. I will never forget the year my father died in 2003. He passed away at the end of January. In December, I was in Africa and I walked into a restaurant and they were playing over some little cheap radio. One of the radio stations was playing and they were playing the song, I'm dreaming of a white 
Christmas. My daddy used to sing that just like Bing Crosby. Looked like Bing Crosby too. And my daddy could sing. When I walked in and sat down and that song came on the radio, I burst into tears and the people that were there with me said, what's the matter? And I just said, you'll have to excuse me. And I got up and I walked out because that was so overwhelming. I had just lost my dad a few months before and dad and I were really, really close. This was not a toxic emotion. This was a good one. And it brought back so many memories flooding into my, mo- my mind and my heart at that moment. It's sitting there in that restaurant I just couldn't keep myself composed. Emotions are affected by your thinking. Yes, they are. And how do you fix your emotions? Toxic emotions change the way you think. Lay your hand on your mind and say, I need to change my mind. Would you do it? So I can change my life. And then I will change my world. Be renewed in the power of your mind. That's what the scripture says. Stand with me across the building. Reject emotions that are hurting you. All of that stuff that I was talking about earlier, jealousy, shame, self-pity, don't entertain it. When that tune comes on, flip to another station. Amen. You're not locked in. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not locked in. This isn't like the old days. Remember the old days in television? The old days? You had three or four channels and that was all you could get? Man, we got cable now. We've got satellite TV. We've got disc. We, you don't like what's on, change the channel. Change the channel. Just high five somebody and say, change the channel. Would you do that? This is what Paul said. Set your affections on things above. What is affections? It's emotions. Set your emotions on things above. Find the dial and change the station. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of those emotions actually feel good. Self-pity. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about when I say self-pity actually feels pretty good. Nobody else gives you attention. You can sure give yourself some attention. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You ever throw a pity party? You ever notice nobody ever shows up but you? Come pray with me. God, heal us. Heal us of fear. Perfect love cast out fear. Heal us of negativity. Heal us of shame. Heal us of unforgiveness. Heal us of anger. Heal us of arrogance and pride. Heal us of bitterness. Heal us of self-pity. Heal us from being emotionally shut down. Heal us of jealousy and make our emotions whole.